Hey everyone, David Hill here. You're listening to a bonus episode of Gamblers. You may have read my article about Mike McCaskill and GameStop, but if you haven't, please go check it out at theringer.com. Enjoy the episode. Howdy, King Louis fans. We are at the finals for our co-ed A and B tournaments. This is the co-ed doubles beach volleyball finals at King Louis Sports Complex in Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, there is beach volleyball in Kentucky. There's just no ocean breeze or seagulls or really even any water. For those that don't know, Caitlin and Alyssa have been pairing up to play in the women's events and doing extremely well. Both are tied right now for first place in the point series. That's Mike McCaskill, a 45-year-old self-described beach bum who runs the beach volleyball program here at King Louis. I know it's Louisville, Kentucky. It sounds weird. I know. It does sound weird. I spoke to Mike on the phone for this story. Louisville is a, is a big volleyball town, not a huge beach volleyball town, but we actually have multiple beach volleyball places now, and I run one. Um, a really nice one. <laughs> it would blow your socks off. Anyway, so I started refereeing. I became a, kind of a professional referee. I refereed high school uh, club ball and uh, even did a collegiate match or two. So that actually supported me. And that's, you know, basically you choose what to do. So it was a pretty easy job. It was mostly nights and weekends. So that kept me afloat. I could be a beach bum and I can trade. When Mike says trade, he means trade stocks, which he's been doing with mixed success since the late 1990s. I'm not a, like a degenerate gambler that would say, you know, have no <laughs> money in my house or couldn't make my house. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that way. So you have a trading account. That's separate, obviously, from your personal finances. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hoping to make big money in my trading account and maybe pull some out and, you know, right. it's a little easier. That was That's always the idea. But at that time, I didn't have a job. You know, you go play pickup basketball, we'd be playing pickup volleyball every day. Once I got done trading, you know, I'd be rushing to go play beach volleyball. And I was doing that, too, which led to my current job, actually. It was good. It was fun. My life has been great. I've never really had a real job until kind of recently. I really had I me mean, working for my parents. It was a real job, but it was working for my parents. You know, I've worked at some restaurants as a server when I was really young, but I've never had a, you know, a real job. King Louis, where Mike now works, is a 46,000 square foot sports complex opened in 2015 at a cost of $4 million. Mike went to apply for a job with them. And he worked his way up to become the director of the volleyball program. And his business acumen from trading stocks came in handy. I turned that into a very successful, the best volleyball place in town. You know, I'm a financial guy, you know, and everyone else that applied for that job was more of, hey, I can run a good volleyball tournament. And I was like, these are the projections, you know, we'll yeah, yeah. money. And in this particular final, we've got... Some Louisville Beach family. As Mike supervised a co-ed doubles event in January, he had no idea that he had just days before set into motion a series of events that would lead to not only the biggest stock trade of his life, but an absolute frenzy on Wall Street and across the country. All because of a stock in a little company called GameStop. And he had no idea that he was days away from putting his beach bum days behind him. Days away from being able to easily buy King Louis. Days away 
from becoming rich enough to be a king all his own. This is the story of Mike McCaskill, the beach bum who beat Wall Street. From the Ringer Podcast Network, my name is David Hill, and this is Gamblers. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit (laughs) jiffylube.com. Mike McCaskill is from Louisville, Kentucky. His parents ran a local unfinished furniture store where Mike went to work after dropping out of college. I did not finish college. School was never for me. It wasn't that I was a bad student. It was that I don't necessarily work great, let's say with others. It was while working at the furniture store that Mike stumbled upon stock trading. And in particular, the wild and sometimes shady world of penny stocks in the penny market, stocks could trade down to as little as a hundredth of a cent. And at a hundredth of a cent, you can buy a million shares of stock for a hundred dollars. And most people to this day don't ever pay attention to any of that, but it's a wild, generally unregulated type of industry that's just a free-for-all. Mike haunted the message boards and chat rooms dedicated to penny stock trading. And it was online, in those chat rooms, that Mike got his education in the world of finance and stock markets. I meet financial planners or, you know, brokers even, and and they don't know what the hell they're doing or talking about. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. I I could probably pass a Series 7 test with my eyes closed. I've traded options and penny stocks and everything. And every person I meet, I mean, they don't know how to write a call. They don't, it's like, why are you a financial planner? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Everything I've done has been self-taught. Much of what Mike learned to do in those early days was how to do research, how to learn everything he could about a company, how to make sense of small, seemingly insignificant news, and how it might signal coming changes in a stock price. For stocks that trade in the pennies, a price doesn't have to go up very much to make a huge difference. His first big score was a stock that cost a hundredth of a cent. He bought 3 million shares. And that stock ended up making the net to 3 cents. And that 3 cents, you know, that turned into $90,000. And I was, I don't know, 25, you know, and that was, you know, I thought I was going to rule the world after I hit that. I knew at that point that I would be hooked on trading forever. And uh, it took about 20 years for it to really pay off. 
Mike traded penny stocks for the next five or six years on the side while he worked at his parents' store and later when he tried his hand at being a mortgage broker. But nothing he ever did matched the enthusiasm he had for the market. When he found himself without a job in 2006, he decided to finally take the plunge and try his hand at trading stocks full-time. He sold his car, and he used the proceeds to bankroll himself. And I took maybe, I think it was $10,000 possibly, or $15,000, and I put it in my account. And through that course that year, I ran it up to 160000 And I was like, you know, I thought, I can do this, and I can make it happen. During those years, the penny stocks he traded were on unregulated markets. Markets that were filled with companies that were bankrupt, broke, or otherwise busted. These were the companies that couldn't trade on the big exchanges because they were too small or they had been in some kind of trouble before. And there were quite a bit of shenanigans that went on. Remember the movie The Wolf of Wall Street? The storefront office with the guys peddling cheap stocks of shell companies over the phone with bullshit information? <laughs> Six cents a share? Come on. Who buys this crap? Well, I mean, honestly, mostly schmucks. Postmen, there's always postmen. Right. Uh, plumbers, um, they see our ads in the back of uh, Hustler and Popular Mechanics, and our, our ads actually say they can get rich quick. <laughs> well, that's not far off from the truth. Investors had to not only be wary of companies lying about what they did or who they were, but also of other investors trying to pump stocks they held so they could dump the shares at a profit and leave the latecomers holding the bag. It was the mean streets, the wild west of stock trading. Everywhere you turned, someone was looking to take you off. Mike learned a lot in those days about how to suss out ripoffs and all manner of financial fuckery. Let's just say I'm very hardened from those lessons that I learned early on, and I can look at something very quick, and I can tell you if it's a scam. I can tell you if it has momentum possibilities, um, and that's what I've always been very good at. And when the financial fuckery prepared to take down the entire American economy in 2008... Mike could feel the tremors in the penny markets well before the rest of us had any clue. The penny market just stopped and people were pulling liquidity out of the market and you could tell it obviously in the penny market but I, we didn't know why. 2006 was great for me but by mid-2007 I'm like, man, this isn't working as easy as it used to. As the financial crisis took its toll on the economy, Mike noticed that the big board stocks, the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, were suddenly as volatile as the stocks he used to trade on the penny market. They were crashing down quickly, while others were shooting up just as fast. And well, that was kind of his thing. In 2008, things started to fall. And I actually thought, well, maybe these banks are an opportunity to buy. That was my thought process. And then here we go, and we walk right into October when, you know, shit hit the fan. And I quickly taught myself how to trade options during that time. And when the banks started to fall, you know, I would buy puts on things. And it was like shooting fish in a barrel because everything started getting liquidated. And even though I had no idea almost what I was doing, you know, it, talking about the time of your life to learn how to trade options. If you don't understand the difference between stocks and options, my story about Mike on TheRinger.com contains a decent explanation, if I do say so myself. Or if you don't care to really get into the technical mumbo-jumbo of the world of high finance and stick to the courts at King Louis, you'll probably still get the gist of the story. But for now, let's just say that options are a high-risk, low-investment way to trade with a gigantic potential upside. Kind of like making a 10-team parlay. 
In Mike's case, he figured he could lessen the vig on those 10-team parlays by finding less obvious information on companies that would give him an edge. It was primarily because it was negative because you start seeing all the fraud that's going on. And I mean, you wouldn't think that the you know Bank of Americas or the Bear Stearns, you know, you wouldn't think that. But after when you're sitting there trading in it and it's absolute carnage, you know, there's a reason why they're going under. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know that there is. Mike dove headlong into options trading, and his education was an expensive one. His account was as volatile as the stocks he was chasing. I learned how to trade and cut my teeth in the most craziest volatile time ever. And it scarred me because if I was where I was now, and I, I know what I know now, I would have traded it you know, extremely successfully, more than likely. But it made me look for that volatility for years to come. And there are several times throughout my trading career that I went to zero. I'm definitely, I hate to say I'm a gambler. I'm a gambler. You know, maybe I would buy the puts that day and they would go up. Well, the next time I'd buy the calls, they would go down. It's amazing how often I miss miss those. But here's the thing. If you hit one out of 10 of them and you nail one, you know, it almost like, ha, see, I can do it. And it gave me that hope. And it's kind of like um, a degenerate gambler, you know, just, I don't know, hitting the skids. It's like over and over again, I would always revert back to those type of trades. And it was a mistake. You know, it was just a mistake. And I tried to get away from them. But like I said, they're like the crack. It's addicting. It's like, I'm going to hit it this time. And I didn't hit it. Mike eventually did hit the skids. And he took a break from trading to focus on volleyball eventually working his way up from refereeing to running tournaments to directing an entire recreational program. But Mike never stopped paying attention to the market. I was always a swing for the fence kind of guy, and I'm using options, which, like I said, they'll go to zero. Like, I maybe have, all right, I can put $500 in my, my account. And whenever I'm... You know, real low, always try to swing for the biggest thing. Like, let's find the 100 to 1 shot. So, 2019, I think, somebody gives me a tip. Some guy that, honestly, I barely even remembered from my glory days of 2005 and six sends me a tip and he said, hey, I just loaded this stock. You should look at it. And uh, I take a peek at it. And somebody had taken this old crummy shell and essentially they were putting a active telehealthcare company into it. And I was like, that does look good. And it had a pretty small share structure. And I bought it and I bought it pretty heavily for the amount of money that I had. And I remember, yes, I got 700,000 shares in that price range of a penny to maybe five cents. In six months, the stock went from a penny to a dollar thirty. And Mike's account grew to nearly a million dollars. I got right up to that 955. I remember, got a picture of it. I'm up to 955. I'm almost to my million. I'm doing my dance. I'm like, I've done it. Hi-ya. And then it crashes back down. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. To have almost a million dollars one day and lose it all the next put Mike on serious tilt. He wasn't ready to let it go. He went on the hunt for another trade, something that could swing wide, something with an angle to it, something that looked like a long shot to the rest of the world, but a sure thing to him. You know, something in his wheelhouse. 
So I was looking for volatility, trades that would have a lot of volatility, and I noticed that the high short interest list, you know, you got stocks that fly on there if something positive happens. The high short interest list was a list of stocks that had a high percentage of their available shares being shorted, which meant they were loaned out to people who could sell them high and buy them back low and keep the difference. It's an interesting little chart to watch, but I've, I've always watched it um, because I know that those stocks, if they get the right news, can go way up, or if they get even worse news, they can go way down. They've got great volatility. And in late 2019, Mike saw a stock at the top of the list that caught his eye, a video game retailer called GameStop. So it's December 2019 that pops to the top. I'm looking at it and I'm like, huh, you know, it's brick and mortar, it's boring, but it has a huge short interest. It's at 90% short interest, okay? The other one's like an abnormally high is like 50 to 60. All of a sudden this has 90, so it piques my curiosity. So I want to find out why, so I start doing some research. Mike did what he did best. He studied the company, looking for any red flags, any sign the company was in trouble or headed for bankruptcy. After spending nearly two decades trading penny stocks, he figured he was something of an expert on what a company on the way to the garbage dump looked and smelled like. But he didn't find anything like that. In fact, he found the company, a Fortune 500 company with lots of money in the bank and a seasonal business about to experience a Christmas rush, was in pretty okay shape. The only reason people were shorting the stock, betting the price would go down, was some general idea that retail was bad and that GameStop was another blockbuster video type situation. And for those of you born in the current millennium, Blockbuster was once a place every single American went every single Friday night of their lives to rent physical video cassettes of movies. Then one day, in the blink of an eye, disappeared everywhere but rural Alaska. But Mike did find some red flags. His bullshit detector went off in a big way. But not from GameStop from the hedge funds who were shorting the stock. Well, in 2019, the company decides to do a buyback. Generally, when a buyback is announced, the stock goes up. It doesn't go up. A buyback is when a company uses some of their own cash to buy their own stock off the open market to shrink the number of available shares and hopefully increase the demand and therefore the price. GameStop bought back a ridiculous amount, about a third of all the shares available at a price of $178 million, leaving only about 68 million shares on the market. But it didn't work. The share price didn't budge. And I can only imagine what management of GameStop thought. I'm sure it infuriated them, because the stock at the low was $3, the high was barely six. They bought back a third of their shares. It's the craziest thing I'd ever seen. So when I'm researching this on why the company ended up on the high short interest list, it's because these maniacs, this hedge fund or group of hedge funds, literally shorted everything that GameStop bought back. And I was fascinated because I've never seen anything so boldly stupid in my life if a company's not gonna go under. Because what it did was they retired all those shares and it made the share count 62 million, I think, or 65, somewhere in there. So you've got a tiny share structure for a company that's doing five to six billion dollars of revenue a year that has 6,000 locations. It blew me away. 
Not only did the buyback not force the stock price up, it led to even more shorting, which caused the percentage of GameStop shares that were being sold short to go from 90% to over 110%. Now, you may be asking yourself, how can the percentage be over 100%? Wouldn't that mean that there were more shares being shorted than actually existed? And the answer to that question is yes. It's like a pyramid scheme. You know, it's like, oh, I'll, sh- I'll short these, I'll loan them out, oh, I'll buy these. And it never ends. It's like a never-ending cycle. The same share could be loaned out and resold over and over and over again. And the person who originally loaned out the share might have no idea how many times it had been resold and reloaned. They only knew that on a certain day, they expected to get their shares back from who they loaned them to which is referred to as the shorts covering. And Mike didn't think that could happen. My real thought here is that there's no way for these guys to cover, and that's why they're not covering. And that's why they didn't cover. People say, you know, they got greedy and they should have just covered when it was under $5. No, because they couldn't do that. Because they made it to where there are no real shares. They were betting that this was going bankrupt and that it would never survive. And it was an interesting bet, but it was, it was wrong. What Mike thought might happen is called a short squeeze, which is when a stock that is heavily shorted starts to go up, causing short sellers, like a hedge fund, to start buying the stock to cover the shares they borrowed, which causes the price to go up more, which causes more shorts to buy, and you get the idea. There have been a few big examples of short squeezes throughout history. And the price can really go through the roof. Well before you or I heard anything about GameStop, Mike started buying a 1,000 weekly options contracts every single week. He was making a bet, week in and week out, that something would break and start the squeeze. So from that point, the stock didn't really move. It you know, fluctuated between 3 and $6. It was so frustrating. And I lost more money than you can imagine trying to do that. I don't even want to talk about how bad my losses were. But that's the game. And that's why people say the game's rigged and you're not going to win. And GameStop didn't even know what to do. I don't think management had any idea what to do. As Mike soldiered on throughout 2020, waiting patiently for the price to move, two things happened that still gave him hope. The first was that Dr. Michael Burry, the hedge fund manager who made millions shorting the housing market in 2008 and who was played by Christian Bale in the movie The Big Short, bought into GameStop. Burry's buying in. Burry's trying to get them to do um, another buyback because he knew that these guys were totally screwed. He knew it. And the second was that Ryan Cohen, the billionaire founder of Chewy.com, filed paperwork revealing that he had bought up over 10% of GameStop's outstanding stock making him a company insider in the eyes of the SEC. The assumption was that Ryan Cohen had his eyes on taking over GameStop, along with a number of other investors who were angling for seats on the company's board. Surely a good sign for the company's future if there ever was one. I don't know who on earth could have been a better match for GameStop as far as online retail than Ryan Cohen. I mean, maybe if Jeff Bezos stepped down from Amazon, he would be better. But in reality, there's no better fit for GameStop than Ryan Cohen. And there just isn't. He's brilliant and he gets it. So $1.4 billion in online revenue is what they reported like in December. And it beat expectations by $0.4 billion. I mean, incredible numbers. 
but did it matter? No, because the short position wouldn't let it matter. They well, squashed it down repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. As the year came to a close, Ryan Cohen was in a public fight with GameStop management over the direction of the company, and he was angling for three seats on the board. This, however, would be tricky, because by the end of 2020, nobody could even be sure technically who owned GameStop shares and who could participate in a shareholder vote. The percentage of GameStop shares that were being sold short had grown to nearly 140%. On January 11th, Mike finally got the break he thought he needed. Ryan Cohen and two of his allies were going to be put on the board of directors. They put that press release out, and I'm like, hallelujah, this is probably it. You know, and I'm ready to load up, okay? I'm ready to load. I don't even know how much in my portfolio, probably 25 to 40% of my portfolio goes into this, okay? Because I'm like, I'm not screwing around anymore. I'm not going to miss this. I bought probably 50,000 worth of shares, and then I put a massive option strategy in play that involved me buying March, April, and July calls. And I think I did them in 25, 30, and 35 strikes, which means, you know, anything above that, I get to keep the money that's made. Because at this point on Monday, the stock's only up 10%. They're treating it like it's nothing. Then rolls around Tuesday, still nothing. It's like, who cares? I think they put it back under 20. I bought more. Okay. Monday, Tuesday, I'm like, this is insane. I'm losing my mind. The stock did move but not by much. It didn't seem like the short squeeze was happening. So Mike did what any of us do when we're pissed off. He logged onto Twitter. I wake up Wednesday morning, super early, because trading really starts at 4 a.m., so half the time I'm awake at 3.30, ready to go. And I know Jim Cramer, who has commented poorly on GameStop. So for some reason, I think I saw him tweet. I'm up, I see a Cramer tweet. And I'm like, you know... I'm going to ask him a question. The Kramer that Mike is talking about is Jim Kramer, host of CNBC's popular program, Mad Money. Mike tweeted at Kramer a screenshot of the high short interest list, showing GameStop at number one with a bullet at 136%. He tweeted, please help explain this to me. Please tell me how this doesn't squeeze for a month with the Chewy management team now on the board. He ended with the hashtag MOAS which stood for Mother of All Short Squeezes. Now, Kramer has 1.5 million followers and all kinds of wackadoodles in his mentions touting him on stocks they want him to talk about. This was a Hail Mary pass, or whatever the volleyball version of a Hail Mary pass is. Incredibly, Kramer saw it. And 10 minutes later, Kramer quote tweeted Mike's tweet with, excuse my ignorance, where did you get this list? kind of interesting for me to focus on. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Even more incredible, the next day, Kramer talked about it on his show. We're seeing short squeezes after short squeezes after short squeezes. Some of them have generating such major gains that I'm talking about. Yes, take GameStop, Bed Bath & Beyond last two days. Let's talk. By the end of the day, GameStop had skyrocketed to just under $40 a share. The tweet had worked. The mother of all short squeezes had finally begun. Two days later, Mike was at King Louis running a volleyball tournament. The following Monday, he made a major decision. I want to hit the grand slam on this. 
I want more. Okay, I, mm-hmm. I really wanted more exposure. I thought this was it. You know, I'm like, I've been waiting for this for a year. Mike had invested so much time and money into GameStop. He was as sure of the MOAS as anything he had been in his whole life. This was it. This was the moonshot he had spent his life waiting for. He didn't want to watch the squeeze happen and be kicking himself later. Profiting wasn't going to be enough. Mike wanted to make a killing. That Monday, Mike bought $750, $60 short-term call options. That's a massive, that's the biggest trade maybe I'd ever put on in an options account. That's when all hell broke loose. There's no way you could have avoided this story over the past few days. GameStop's stock is surging. Over the past six months, their stock price has grown by 8,000%. I mean, it's an extraordinary story. This is populism coming for capitalism. GameStop. Uh, GameStop uh, shares right now. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, I don't even know what to say. It's up 131%, $342. In the two weeks following Mike's tweet at Jim Cramer, GameStop shares went from $31 to a peak of $483. All told, Mike McCaskill, King Louis' director of volleyball programming, cleared $25 million on GameStop. The accounts he set up for his two small children with their Christmas money cleared a million dollars each. In the span of a couple of weeks, the beach bum became a multimillionaire. It's that mm-hmm. sense of accomplishment because I did something, you know, I, I didn't win the lotto. My wife always makes a joke like, let's get a lotto ticket. And I'm like, you know, really, I don't want to win the lotto. I want to win the lotto in the stock market. You know, I want to earn it. I want to make it myself. The GameStop short squeeze caused shockwaves on Wall Street. It nearly bankrupted a couple of major hedge funds. It made small fortunes for scores of regular stock traders who read about it on Reddit or saw it on Mad Money. It made large fortunes for big players like Michael Burry and Ryan Cohen, as well as big institutional investors. It held the public's attention, and it made the front pages of newspapers across the country. It continues to reverberate with investors and brokerage executives being hauled before Congress to testify about it. But for Mike McCaskill, other than turning him into a wealthy man, the mother of all short squeezes won't change him much. It'll just put a little extra wind at his back. I'm a pretty minimalist kind of guy. I'm not going to go buy the Lambo and act like an imbecile. It's more of the just the satisfaction if I did that, and when I can talk to, say, my family, who, you know, I've sat at the Thanksgiving table with and, you know, tried to explain things and they think that I don't know what I'm talking about because maybe I'm not educated enough or I don't know what their broker knows who, you know, lost them tons of money, but the broker's smarter. It's that mm-hmm. sense of accomplishment. After the dust started to settle from the GameStop mania, Michael Burry the guy who predicted the housing crisis who Christian Bale played in the big short, took to his seldom-used Twitter account to tweet the following. There really can't be another GameStop. Nothing else is or was even close to a short at 100% of floats. So small and so hated, ignored, dismissed prior to the squeeze, it was a uniquely perfect setup. There won't be another like it.
the same could be said for Mike McCaskill. This event, the co-ed, does not add additional points for winning. It does add participation points. So whoever wins this is just more for pride and glory. Just like GameStop, there will never be another Mike McCaskill. But he's used to being different. Being different comes natural when you're a beach bum in a town with no beach. All right, guys, I've got to turn this off, but tune in and I'll post some pictures of our winners. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Gamblers. For more of this story, please check out The Beach Bum Who Beat Wall Street and Made Millions on GameStop at TheRinger.com. Ringer.com.